Daniel chapter 12, reading verse 4. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. Drop down to verse 8. Although I heard, this is Daniel speaking, although I heard, I did not understand, then I said, my Lord, what shall be the end of these things? And he said, go your way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed till the time of the end. Many shall be purified, made white and refined, but the wicked shall do wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand. You might want to know, and none of the wicked shall understand. And none of the wicked shall understand. They'll think pastors like me don't know what we're talking about and have lost our minds. Nothing could be further from the truth. But the wise shall understand. That's what Daniel said. That's what the Lord told him. The wise would understand. Knowledge will increase. People will run to and fro like chickens with their heads cut off. A lot of people will kill, still do wickedly, but the wise will be purified and they'll understand what's going on around them. Fast forward, ministry of Jesus Days before the cross, Matthew 24. That's kind of our, our anchor text through, through all of this prophecy series is the Olivet Discourse. It's the anchor text. It's the hub. Everything else are spokes, right? Although Daniel's spokes are pretty strong spokes. They're major spokes. <laughs> they're, they're very important because Jesus speaks of them as well, and that's why I wanted to read, because Daniel actually shares one end times facet that Jesus doesn't mention, but Jesus mentions Daniel's prophecy, which actually pulls it in to Jesus's. Matthew chapter 24, anchor text. It's not the only. You also have Mark chapter 13, and we're going to look at Luke 21 in just a second. Those are the three places where the Olivet Discourse, Jesus sitting on the Mount of Olives. I've already covered this, but if you're visiting with us or new, uh, essentially days before the cross, Jesus gives for all of us, in understanding of the last days on the face of the earth. And the last days is not just a couple of days. It's a period of time, but then it gets accelerated near the end, right? The tunnel gets more narrow right when you get to the end, and the speed increases. He does this on the Mount of Olives, looking back to Jerusalem. The disciples are wondering, uh, and they're wondering after he first prophesies about the destruction of the temple. So again, we'll start with verse 1, and we'll read verses 1 through 14. Then Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came up to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said to them, Do you not see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone shall be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down. Now, Jesus wants to teach them about prophecy. It wasn't on their mind to think about it at this point. He stirs it up. And God wants to stir up your mind to understand the end. Even if you're not asking for it, Jesus is telling, I will stir it anyway. So they weren't thinking about it until he says, hey, see the temple here? Gorgeous building, taken for many, many years to build like this. Every single rock will be turned upside down and ground into powder. And of course, that would later happen in AD 70 when Titus would actually, because some uh, Roman soldiers set it on fire and the gold melted between the little bricks, he said, you got to smash it into pieces so we can get all the gold out. And they did. Exactly what Jesus said. But that didn't happen until A.D. 70. Move on, verse 3. Now as he sat on the Mount of Olives, then the disciples, now they're stirred. Now they're wondering what else is going to happen. The disciples said, privately, tell us when these things will be and what will be the sign of, the co of your coming and the end of the age. And Jesus answered and said to them, take heed that no one deceives you. Remember he starts off that be careful Deception will be plentiful. Take heed that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ. And this is very important. We're going to get back to this verse a little bit later. Many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass. But the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and pestilence and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginnings of sorrows. Nowhere near the worst of the worst, just the beginnings. 
Then you will be delivered up to tribulation, and they will kill you, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. Then many will be offended. Sounds like America, right? Politically correct society. And many will be offended, will betray one another, and will hate one another. Then false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to the nations. And then the end will come. Drop down to verse 32. An anchor of the anchor, if you will. Now learn this parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. See you also, when you see all these things, know it is near, at the doors, exclamation point in your Bible. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. Last place to turn, Luke chapter 21. Luke chapter 21. Luke 21, just a short turn to the right. Skip over Mark, get to Luke. Luke 21, starting with verse 20. Now again, we'll touch on Midrash for a second because verse 20 through 24 certainly speak of the tribulation, but they don't only speak of the tribulation. They speak of prior to the tribulation and perhaps a couple of times prior to the tribulation. Remember we talked about prophecy does what? It escalates and repeats reaching a crescendo, a high point of uh, final fulfillment. And sometimes we're not sure how many cycles of repetitiveness, nobody really understands all of it, but we see some of the repetitiveness. Out of of Egypt I called my son. We saw that that took place three different times. uh, Luke chapter 21, starting verse 20, but when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then you know its desolation is near. And let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains, and let those who are in the midst of her depart, and let not those who are in the country enter her. This is not what I would want to visit Israel, by the way. It says not don't even enter at that time. For these are the days of vengeance, that all things are written may be fulfilled, but woe to those who are pregnant, to those who are nursing babies in those days, for there will be great distress in the land, and wrath upon this people. They'll fall by the edge of the sword and be led away into captivity into all nations. Jerusalem will be trampled by the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles are fulfilled. We won't get all this today, but uh, these are very, very important pieces. Uh, If you can pull up my uh, slide deck and let's first pray. Father, we pray again for the wisdom and the counsel of your Holy Spirit to speak to each and every person here. Uh, Lord, may these not be my words, may they be your words, for indeed they are, as we've read directly from you and your servant Daniel, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, so we're going to, today, if you're taking notes, by the way, uh, the title of our study today is Signs of the Last Days. Uh, So this will be a a bit of a two-part in this particular chronology, if you will, or time period. Uh, Let's look at, again, reminder of Midrash. by way of reminder, we talked about Midrash being the, the Hebrew rabbinical uh, method of studying the Scriptures where they don't look at things myopically or linear. You look at them holistically and understand that Scripture interprets Scripture. And as you have probably read many times uh, yourself, uh, you know, you'll actually have God fast forward, go backwards, up, down, and around when it comes to time. For unto you a son is born, a child is given. Right? A couple of seconds later, and the government will be on his shoulders. It's a several thousand year gap there, right? Boom. But God doesn't look at time. With the Lord, a day is as a thousand years, a thousand years is as a day. So when he speaks about things, he will speak of them holistically and it's up to the reader. That's why the reader has to understand. Daniel said, know the word. Daniel labored over the book of Jeremiah so much so that he became sick, but he, then he understood the 70 years. You have to labor in the word and doctrine, which is God has called pastors who labor in word and doctrine. Scriptural text will re, uh, explain. Now, not everything's explainable, and a reminder of that. Much of it we can understand. Some of it God is not going to reveal until the moment it's revealed. And I'm okay with that. 
big chunks of it, Jesus says you will be able to understand because he said you can see a thunderstorm coming and you're able to understand that, you'll be able to understand this. Now look at the prophetic timeline again, just by way of um, just clarification, what we're looking at today is really all in here. And really, specifically, we're about right here, what we'll focus on. The church age is everything, you know, from uh, the time of Jesus all the way until the rapture of the church, when the church is taken out of the world and uh, it prepares the way for the great tribulation period. Let's take a look also, a little more detailed, kind of gives you an idea of the different dispensations. And you can see here that you look at biblical history and... and, uh, you have the time of the law. Jesus comes. He fills up the law. He doesn't abolish it, does he? He fills up the law, fills it up, completes it. He is the completion of the law. Uh, and then, he, of course, raises the game of the law. Things like uh, you've heard it said, uh, you know, uh, eye for an eye, tooth for tooth. I say love your enemies, right? Adultery is adultery. No, no, no. Even lust of the mind. You know, he then fulfills up the law. But then the cross, and we have the age of grace, and the age of grace, and the church age are synonymous, right? They're, they're one and the same. The age of grace, the church age. Thank the Lord you were born in the age of grace. That you didn't have to take animals to the temple on a regular basis and watch your kids cry because once again you had to slit the throat of another lamb. All this, I mean, it, this is the real thing. That's the things that the world, and, and we have the age of grace where Jesus is the atoning blood. He's torn the temple, uh, temple um, veil has been torn in two. We have the age of grace, and we don't, have to, we don't have to get saved by saying no to the Antichrist. We simply get saved by saying yes to the Christ. Amen? So we're in the age of grace here, and these are the last days from the cross all the way the rapture of the church and you can see the fulfillment of jerusalem in a.d 70 jesus that was the kickstart of the prophecies of which he talked about says when that one falls that's domino one (laughs) then they start right but they could know and of course they really believe that jesus was almost going to come back in probably a.d 71 because the domino had fallen there they're waiting for other ones and they see a lot of the signs and that's where preterist get all mixed up because surely the early Roman Empire fulfilled a lot of antichrist qualities. Nero was very antichrist, wasn't he? But he's not the antichrist. He's just a foreshadowing of the antichrist. Just like we have foreshadowings of Jesus, right? Moses was a foreshadowing of Jesus, but he's by no means Jesus. Joseph was a foreshadowing of Jesus. Isaac was a foreshadowing of Jesus, but they're not Jesus. Only Jesus is Jesus. Amen. Let's take a look here at the last days. And again, just a little more, kind of sum these things up. The last days, when did they begin? Well, they began with the conclusion of Jesus' earthly ministry. There's a little bit of debate. Was it the ascension? Was it the cross? Don't get all caught up in that. It's essentially the conclusion of his ministry. If when, I, when Jesus needs to tell me what the exact second of the conclusion of his earthly ministry is, I'll know that when I get to heaven, but I'm not going to debate someone about it. Was it the day of the cross? Was it the resurrection? Was it the ascension? Was it the day of Pentecost? I've heard all of We're all within a 50-day period, folks. That's what we're talking about. Somewhere in that realm was the, was the end of the law age. Not the end of the law. The law will never end. End of the law age. Or actually not even the end. It's a suspension of the law age because the law age comes back in the millennium reign of Christ. Temples rebuilt, sacrifices are reinstituted, and Jesus is the high priest. So don't think the law ended, it was suspended. But it was filled up for us in the person of Jesus Christ. You and I no longer have to keep the law. It's written where? On the tablets of our heart, right? So the last days, but uh, Peter stands up, and Peter makes it really clear that the last days had entered. He requotes from the prophet Joel, but this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel, and it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on the flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. The, and on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy. I will show signs in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor and smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great 
an awesome day of the Lord, and it shall come to pass, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, when Peter requotes from Joel, he establishes a couple things. Folks, he's telling everyone within the sound of his voice, you are now in the last days. Obviously, there's been 2,000 years of that time. Nevertheless, when he says this, he's also speaking of things that have not yet happened even yet now. The great day of God's wrath has not happened. Now, God is pouring out his wrath at all times on the earth. Everyone that dies without Christ is receiving the wrath of God and is in hell right now. So the wrath is being poured out, but not the full wrath of the Lord when he pours it out on the earth. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past by the, uh, by the prophets, has in these what? Last days. All the writers, all the apostles, all the disciples, they knew that they had entered the last days with the conclusion of Jesus' ministry. They understood that the last days had begun. The domino had begun, and they really understood it when the temple fell in A.D. 70. Of course, a lot of this, uh, again, wouldn't all take place in that time, but some of the things would. And again, in understanding Midrash, they would happen in repeating cycles. Now, the last days according to Jesus, we just read from Daniel chapter 12, we read from Matthew chapter 24, and we read from Luke 21. We did not read from Mark 13, which, which says the same things. It's the same all of a discord. But I have a list of things here, 18 of them. Uh, that, that you can see very clearly as things that will take place in the last days, and you have no other than Jesus and his, uh, and his trusty prophet, Daniel. Although Daniel only gives the one, which is knowledge will increase and people will run to and fro. That's actually two if you want to count it as two. I just count it as one. But anyway, uh, knowledge increase, travel all over the world, exponential increase of both. Daniel tells us that one. Jesus talks about the prophecies of Daniel. And in other words, he even said, let the, even Jesus in the text says, let the reader understand. In other words, Matthew chapter 24 didn't exist when Jesus gave the Olivet Discourse. It existed after it came out of his mouth, but it wasn't written down until later. Daniel was already written. So one of the first things the disciples would have done is gone and grabbed their scrolls and said, he just mentioned Daniel. What do you mean? Let the reader understand. Let the reader understand what? Understand what was already written. Understand the prophecies. Now understand them in the context, Jesus saying, of what I've just told you. The 70 weeks will start to make sense, right? Which we're not going to get into today, but we'll get into next week, the 70-week prophecies of Daniel. The last days, though, you can see, if you've been reading ahead and not really listening to me and just reading the slides, I know how that works. Some of you can multitask, but you're women. <laughs> Those of you men have no idea what I just said a couple of seconds ago. You've treasured a couple of new statistics in your head, but you have no idea what I just said. That's okay. I'm not going to go through all these. It's just giving you the list. We're going to take a look at some of them. I don't have time to go through all of them. If you've looked at them, again, if you want me to send the slides, some of you did last week, and I did, and there's a now sign-up list. Thank you for putting that out there. I'm glad to send them. But a lot of things have taken place. A couple of things here. 925 million people are currently starving or malnutrition. Folks, that's almost a billion worldwide. All kinds of things. 15 million die annually from the top 10 diseases. Um, you can see again and again the persecution of the church. It's been taking place since shortly after Jesus, the persecution of the church began. Stephen was the first martyr, right? Stoned to death. It's never stopped since. It's only grown. Far more people have been killed in the modern age than were killed in the days of Christ. The number of people being persecuted of faith has escalated tremendously. 44 million Christians killed since Pentecost. 44 million. Folks, you are blessed to live in America. If you don't understand that, you've not, if you don't believe it, go do a search for yourself on Christians killed and do an image search on Bing or Google. You'll want to vomit. 
I can't even show some of the things, but truly it is horrific what, what Satan is doing to the body of Christ. But all these things, the Lord said, will take place. And of course, we have the prophecies of Israel, the global increase, the, the gospel is getting out to the rest of the world. Let's take a look at some of these in, in a little bit of detail for a minute. Let's take a look. First, it's signs on the earth. You might recognize some of these pictures. Now they're hard to see from back there. I'm doing my best to kind of give you. But uh, just, in, just, just since 2001, the amount of things that have taken place kind of boggle the mind. I can kind of go through. There's Hurricane Sandy up there. See that uh, massive tornado? That, that, that scary thing ripped through Alabama and all the way through Tennessee mowed down hundreds of people, lost their lives. You can see the little red, that was all the powerful tornadoes in a, in a single storm. You see the tsunami, you see the water is well above, much higher than the land. The water came in some places 142 feet high over sea level. That was the tsunami. This is the devastating uh, tornadoes there. This was the massive, killed more than 200,000 people, the tsunamis and the earthquake related to Indonesia back in 2004. Remember that? Day after Christmas, I believe it was. Uh, you have here, again, some of the devastation from that, uh, that event. Oh, oh, no, this is actually, uh, which one is this? This one might be China. This is earthquakes in China. Remember those? Killed 50,000 people. Uh, this is Hurricane Katrina. Flooded, the levees broke. Haiti, that's the volcanic eruptions in Iceland that shut down shut down flights all over Europe. Most flights shut down since 9-11. That's a wave. That's the top of the trees. That was the tsunami in Japan. Various earthquakes in various places. Uh, we had an earthquake a year ago right here. And uh, I don't know, you probably won't hear much about it, but I've done a lot of research. We've had a heavy increase in eruption activity on the East Coast, but the news doesn't talk about it much. Quite a bit. Kentucky just had one. Was it last week? Uh, Eastern Kentucky had up in Massachusetts. All the fault lines are showing more and more seismic activity. But then nothing's happened yet because eventually God says he's going to shake the entire world. I won't be here for that. How about you? When every island is moved out of its place. Now that's good. But the, but the, the tremors are starting. The, the birth pains, the elasticity of the earth is groaning for the return of Christ. And we see more and more of these things. Even guys like Mayor Bloomberg and everything else now, of course, they, they foolishly believe that the way to fix it is to fix global warming. Yeah, that'll stop it. Actually, the ice shelf is growing. Never mind the facts. That doesn't have Again, all the things that are taking place, the earth is becoming violent in the eruptions. Take a look at some of the signs in the heavens. Some of the signs in the heavens. This is my favorite one. We would never see the cross in the core of galaxy M51 if we didn't have God allowed it. God allowed modern breakthroughs to send Hubble out. And we sent Hubble out way back, what was it, 10, 12 years ago or whatever it was. Uh, so we sent Hubble out, had no idea what it would find in deep field space pictures when it takes thousands of images and, and they have to stitch them all together and it takes hours to download a single image. But after all of the work of Hubble of taking all those deep field images, they get that image of the cross right there in the center of the Whirlpool galaxy. That if that isn't a sign to the world, that our ancient uh, ancestors would never be able to see this. God's giving modern man Another proof to say even the universe has the outstretched arms of Jesus. Many other things. I just read this one back in the summer, uh, the uh, National Geographic, the solar storms. National Geographic just did a, you know, this was maybe six months ago. Uh, they wrote an alarming article about what would happen if we have a similar solar storm as one that took place in the 1800s. Uh, it would probably knock out all the electronic equipment in the United States. Now, this has already happened. Grids have been knocked out in Canada, Argentina, just with certain solar flares it knocks the grid out. But we've seen nothing compared to what the solar storms can do, but we're getting signs of it, previews of it. Let's take a look at uh, knowledge and information. 
I didn't put world travel. Uh, I've done study on that too. I just didn't have time to put that slide in. But Daniel speaks of this, the knowledge increase. It's an unbelievable. Most of the world's data is just a couple of years old. We are tripling, quadrupling knowledge in exponential times. We used to say Moore's Law, you know, we had a number to it. They can't attach a number because it's happening too fast now. You can't really attach a number to it. But you can see just all the things that are taking place. At uh, every single minute, 27,000 Tumblr blogs, 47 apps received. Every single minute, the world's data is growing at an unbelievable rate as people crisscross the globe physically and through the World Wide Web. Daniel had no idea what the Lord was talking about when he says knowledge will increase, people will run to and fro, information will run to and fro, people will be absolutely inundated with knowledge and information. They can learn more in a day than you could learn in you know, 10 years. Paul had to sit here and open up scroll after scroll. I can read thousands of scrolls in a matter of hours. Can I? But they couldn't. It's not really getting us much peace, though, is it? But we do have a great increase in knowledge. Let's take a look at wars. What about war? This is actually the world conflict map of 2012. This is what's taking place in the world right now. Uh, America is in a couple of wars, some that you don't think about, but we're in several. We're obviously still involved in Iraq. We're still involved in Afghanistan. Uh, our FBI agents and CIA are involved in the drug wars of Mexico, which if you want to see some of the most demonic activity on planet Earth, it's taking place in the drug wars of Mexico. The things that they are doing to people there, uh, it, it truly is straight from the pits of hell. America, of course, you see the uh, little uh, icons up there, looks like envelopes. Those are cyber attacks. America constantly is under cyber attack from China, from organized crime, from Middle East terrorists, from Ru el el uh, elements of Russia. Um, while you and I sit in relative peace, the attacks on our systems are nonstop on our electrical grid. They're finding every bit of information, every bit of data, everything they can about this nation. And, of course, it's not just us. It's around the world. But you can see all the different... Con every one of those little pirate things, that's where piracy is back in the world in a big way. Now, in some sense, it's never left, but it's actually growing. Uh, you remember the pirates of old, pirates of the Caribbean kind of movie, stuff like that? They're back. Except for now, they have much more sophisticated weapons. They have rocket-pelled grenades. They have semi-automatic weapons. They are they're, you know, taking ships. Remember, our Navy SEALs had to shoot down. Remember the pirates? Uh, the, the Navy SEALs had to come in, in the dark and shoot. That's taking place around the world. So we have all kinds of conflicts, all the wars in the Middle East, and lots of other things that are taking place. Of course, Israel lives under the constant threat of nuclear attack, doesn't it? Because Iran... Iran is committed to wiping Israel off the face of the earth. They will not, will they? Let's take a look at lawlessness expanding. These are all images of just the last couple of years. Recognize any of these? Got things like the riots of Greece, uh, which is right here. We've got, these are the riots of Greece as well. We've got terrorism. Occupy Wall Street was full of all kinds of crime and all type of uh, nasty things that, that went on uh, with that. We've got the gang proliferation all across the country, the cartels. The cartels, of course, have recruited the most violent gangs to carry out executions of people and all kinds of other intimidation. And uh, it, it just continues to unravel around the world. More and more prison populations are exploding. There's no way to contain all the lawlessness. Now, Jesus said, lawlessness will abound, the love, of money, the love of many will grow cold. I mean, who are these people's mothers, you wonder? Seriously. Honestly. Who are these people's mothers? Well, the mothers, in some cases, are joining the gangs and stuff, are part of the crime networks, and are part of the hate. Many of them are, have no fathers at all. Their fathers don't love them. Their fathers, give, their fathers have fathered children, but they don't have any responsibility. So their kids are raised by gangs, raised by thugs, raised by terrorists, drawn into false things. And the demonic world is their dad. And you see lawlessness abounds. Let's take a look at 
Uh, Jesus talked about uh, famines and pestilence. Some of the just heart-wrenching things that are taking place in the world, which many Americans don't give a second thought to. They give none of their money to help people around the world. Uh, Many do. Many of you actually truly do help people that are starving to death. You truly do give to things like Gospel for Asia. But many don't. Many couldn't care less. They're more focused on their Christmas list. While many are dying, many are starving, many have none of the things that we take for granted. And, uh, you know, even little things like doing the shoeboxes, that's just a start of all the things that need to be done in the name of Jesus. But it's, it's more than just that. Jesus talks about pestilence and famine. No matter where in the world, one of the things I find most amazing about this particular curse on the world, the famines, the pestilence, the poverty, they all go together, is we have spent trillions worldwide trying to fix these things. Guess what our success rate is? 40-year war on poverty. And you'll four years, you'll hear another nonsensical political diatribe of how we're going to fix it. Right? The only way to fix it is repentance, folks. The only way to fix it. It's the only way for deserts to rebloom. It's the only way for cancer to be cured is for people to repent and give us the Lord. The diseases just continue to grow. It doesn't matter how much we have GlaxoSmith uh, and we have all these different Johnson & Johnson, we have all these different pharma companies, they're trying everything under the sun and they can't keep up. Even though when they make breakthroughs, 10 more things out, outpace their breakthroughs, right? This is just becoming more and more and more and we hand sanitize, Right? We do everything to keep from the flu. We get the shot, and all of it still comes, doesn't it? The onslaught can't be stopped because the Lord says these things must take place. All of them. Bed bugs are back as a scourge. You would laugh, but you wouldn't laugh if they got in your house. We had to deal with it with my grandmother's. It was not, what was it, Montel? It was not fun. You have a few in there, and you'll realize that pestilence matters (laughs) if you have it. All these things just continue to expand. I mean, Americans, uh, we take more prescription drugs than any country in the world. We have very little to show for it in a positive realm, although you can see the side effects may include, you know, you're like, wow, that sounds like fun. (laughs) What about persecution of the church? We know that that has, as I mentioned, 44 million killed since the day of Pentecost. Persecution, these are nations all in blue, where persecution is heavy. It's not non-existent in the other countries, it's just heavy and the heaviest in those countries. You can see the 1040 window uh, is, is very, very prominent there as far as persecution in the church. Um, while Americans... Christians, you know, whine and complain about a lot of things. We deal with none of this. The beatings, the imprisonments, the fines. Now, those things may come at some point in time. Even Newsweek Newsweek recognizes more than some Christians the war on Christians. I don't know, but you, you probably could go to, there's probably 400, 500 churches in Richmond. You could go around, and I guarantee you, it would stagger your mind if you asked people in a lot of churches in Richmond, tell me what you know about global persecution of Christians. Many of them couldn't tell you anything. What? There is? What? Where? But it's prevalent. It's expanding. Uh, it will get worse before Jesus comes back because the Antichrist... Uh, is going to really ratchet it up. And then Satan, of course, wants to silence those of us that would share the gospel, that would actually liberate people from bondage. See, the worst thing in life is not... Jesus said, don't be afraid of those who can kill the body. He said, fear the one who has the power to cast you into hell. The worst thing in the world is not to die. It's to, the worst thing in the world is to die without Jesus Christ. And that's why these folks are willing to die because some brother in Iran is more willing to die for Jesus 
so his cousins wouldn't die in a false faith. Now you look at the parallel, the contrast of the faithful church around the world, and I pray that you and I are with them in prayer, that we're part of the faithful church. Right now we're not part of the persecuted church, but we're part of the faithful church. But I pray that you and I are standing with them, and then you look at the contrast with this next slide. The apostasy so rife in the American church. I have studied in detail every single ministry and organization on this slide. I will be more than happy to have a conversation with anybody and show you each of these folks in their own words how they oppose the gospel, preach a false gospel, a partial gospel, and it's just unbelievable all the things. Here's the thing, when Jesus said, do you know in Matthew chapter 24, what's the one thing Jesus says three times? False prophets, false prophets, false prophets. Number one sign of the end is the fig tree. Number two is apostasy. More than famines, more than pestilence, more than wars, Jesus said, you'll know my return is near when a lot of people use my name to pad their pockets. Oh, it's bad today. It's always been there. It was there in the days of the Apostle Paul, but it's grown. You've got pastors like this guy right here running around back and forth on dollar bills, anointing them with his feet, and watch people run up and throw dollar bills on the, on the thing. Uh, or right there on the stage, while he runs back and forth on the dollar bills, and woo run him, I anoint this with my feet. Folks, these are huge churches. Huge churches. They're so opposite of the previous slide, aren't they? You've got poor, beaten-down Christians dying for the name of Jesus, and you've got these folks on multi-million dollar jets, many of them. Do you know it's spreading worldwide? The Nigerian pastors, some of the top Nigerian pastors all have private jets, and they live way above their African brethren. They've, they've embraced this prosperity gospel, and they fly around on jets, and they live in multi-million dollar homes. It's tragic. Meanwhile, you saw the slides in poverty and starvation. This is all around the world. It's, there's Indian prosperity pastors. There's You name it, all around the world, you see this stuff happening. Because, and it's, and it's everything, whether it's the Jehovah's Witnesses, whether it's uh, the apostasy here in this country. You've got things like many people, probably close to a billion worldwide, are, are following Roman Catholicism. Now, this is the current pope. This isn't some pope from a thousand years ago. That's the current pope. Notice he's worshiping an idol. He's bowed down before the statue of Mary, which is out and out blasphemy. The, the Ten Commandments said this, make no other image, doesn't it? Any graven image. Not only does he bow down to Mary, and not only does he bow down, he bows down to a graven image, he encourages everybody else. Here's a, an American church, and you can see the, the, both the people and the priest all bowing to the statue of Mary. Folks, what's different about this is when, again, I go back to the original point. When Jesus made this statement, all the false religions had nothing to do with Jesus. Today, over, well over a billion people are following things that are tied to the name of Jesus. Matter of fact, the name of Jesus is the ticket to wealth in some ministries, right? You can't, you can't generate millions uh, starting a, a Hindu pro, uh, prophetic ministry, but you can on the back of Jesus. And Jesus said, don't be deceived, don't follow after them. Let's take a look at the next slide. Yeah, the apostles, they realize these things. I have so many scriptures I could share on the previous slide, I, we could be here all day. If you've read Isaiah, if you've read Jeremiah, if you've read the minor prophets, major prophets, you know that this is a, just a 
just a sample of all the passages that relate to Jesus, I highlight his in red letters. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. You be, uh, Because you allow that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, to teach and seduce my servants. This is what false prophets do. They seduce. They actually seduce real believers sometimes into false things, into following after the doctrines of demons. I was, uh, I was giving a, um, I was talking to a young man who grew up Catholic. I said, look, there are people that get saved that are Catholics and even remain in the Catholic church. I said, but they get saved in spite of, not because of. I said, because as an organization, the organization is built on lies and misleading people. The only way you get saved is actually, if you're in a Catholic church, you actually read one of these called a Bible. You'll never find a person that says, ever, anywhere on planet Earth, you'll never find a single person on planet Earth that says, I was in a hotel room, and I picked up a Bible, and I dropped to my knees, and I said, Lord, make me a Catholic. They will say, save me as a sinner. I call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You'll never have a person read the Bible and get on their knees and say, Lord, make me a wealthy, famous, multi-millionaire baptized in the blood of Jesus. Not if it's real repentance. You have to get taught this stuff from somebody else. Somebody has to put this on you and teach you these false things. Because you won't get it from this. You'd have to have someone else twist the Scriptures to their own destruction, as Peter said, many do, with the Scriptures. But look at some of these. Paul said, Acts chapter 20, For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, else also from among you will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. Therefore, watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone day and night with tears. Paul, you would not like Paul's preaching. Because not only would he have preached what I just preached, he would do it with tears running down his face. And he would do it to you day and night. You wouldn't be leaving here till tonight. Because Paul would beg you to see that false prophets are coming. And he says, and they'll take some of my words, and they'll take some of Jesus' words, and they'll add false things, and they will lure and perverse. He goes on, 1 Corinthians 11, 12 through 5, but what I do, and this is my ministry. I got saved, by the way, on the message to the false, uh, false lukewarm church in Revelation chapter 3. I got saved. It was part of my calling. It'll be part of what the Lord has me do until the day I die. 1 Corinthians 11.25, Paul says, But what I do, I also will continue to do, that I may cut off the opportunity of those who desire an opportunity to be regarded just as we are in the things which they boast. Paul says, I'm going to continue to cut off at the head those who are false and call them out. And he goes on to say, For such are false apostles deceitful workers, transferring transforming themselves into apostles of Christ, and no wonder Satan himself, transfers himself, uh, transfers himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Look at 2 Timothy 2, 16, 13. But shun profane and idle babblings, for they will increase to more ungodliness, and their message will spread like a cancer. Then he tells us two people that, he gives us two examples. He says, uh, by the way, Hymenaeus and Philetus, they're of this type. He goes, you know those two guys that preach down the street, Hymenaeus and Philetus? Yeah, what they do. Whatever you see like that, run the other direction, is what he's saying. Who have strayed concerning the truth, saying that the resurrection has already passed, and they overthrow the faith of some. Folks, don't let these false prophets overthrow your faith. Stand with Jesus. Don't stand with people who are lying in their pockets with money, dancing on dollar bills, partnering and saying that Mormons are born-again believers. When Mormons themselves say their own doctrine, their doctrine, not my doctrine, their doctrine is that God is not divine. He was a man that grew up to be God. Can you believe this? And they believe this, and it's false. 2 Peter 2, 18 and 19. 
look at the passion in which the writers write. Second Peter, he goes, for when they speak great swelling words of emptiness, great swelling words of emptiness, they allure through the lust of the flesh, through lewdness, the ones who have actually escaped from those who live in error, while they promise them liberty, they themselves are slaves of corruption. This is why megachurches invite a satanic person like Bono to speak to their church. You saw him with his devil horns? Some of the things he said are so anti-Christ, they actually make your hair stand up on end. And we have megachurches that have invited Bono to speak to the church. But these pastors, they come across with a false humility too. They have really kind dispositions. It's false. Now the Spirit says, expressly, now the Spirit says, 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 2, now the Spirit says expressly that in the latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with an iron. This is how you can have someone like Pope Gregory institute something like, way back in the 4th century, celibate priesthood. What an absolute nightmare that has been. Not only are the vast majority of them not celibate, they're not married, but they're not celibate, most of them, uh, around the world, but we've seen the fruit of that. Now, Paul called that, if you go on in that same text, he calls one of the doctrines of demons the forbidding of marriage. It's in the list. Paul says, now, you're not going to believe this, but eventually a sect will rise. They'll name the name of Jesus, and they'll actually forbid people to marriage, and they'll call it holy. And, of course, we have the fruit of that all around the world. Isaiah 56, 11, Yes, they are greedy dogs which never have enough. And they are shepherds who cannot understand. They can't discern the Bible. Charles Spurgeon said it this way. Discernment is not knowing right from wrong. or uh, It's right from almost right. How many of you know right from almost right? Or are you very easily deceived? You won't be if you're walking in the Holy Spirit and you understand God's word. Jude 1.11, woe to them. They have gone the way of Cain. All the way back to the first murderer. They've gone the way of Cain. have run greedily in the era of Balaam and perished in the rebellion of Korah. Now I want to say one last thing about the today's apostasy. We need to pray for those who are in apostasy. I do not dislike or hate any person on planet Earth. You have to pray for the Osama bin Ladens. You have to pray for the false teachers. You have to pray for false leaders. But you better know who is who. I have three daughters. I'll put it this the way you'll all understand. I have three daughters. My first role as a pastor is where? In my house. Would I warn them or not? Absolutely. My second role as a shepherd is here. Anything I'd warn my daughters about, I'll warn you about. If I won't warn them, I won't warn you. But if I warn them, I must warn you. These things are taking place, and Jesus said, don't be deceived, don't be deceived, don't be deceived. Many, many, many. Oh, they'll have great ministries. They'll cast out demons in my name. And I'll say to them what? Depart from me. I never knew you. He's not impressed. But the persecuted church, oh, they're the blood of the saints, aren't they? They're the ones that will receive the crown of righteousness. They're not the only ones. Now let's close with the final, sign, the final major sign. Final major sign. And hang in there for just a few more minutes. The fig tree. What a beautiful thing to move from apostasy to the fig tree. The fig tree of Israel. Um... What an amazing thing. 1948, it's been well said that if Israel, the vote for Israel to become a nation was held in 1948. Uh, many people have uh, hypothesized, looking at the events that took place, that Israel could not have become a nation in 47 or 49, that they would have lost the vote in both those years. There was one narrow band of time where God says, now, now, Ezekiel Prophecy is fulfilled. The dry bones coming to life. The fig tree. Now learn this parable for the fig tree. 
Learn it, folks. Learn it, church. Learn the parable of fig tree. Understand that the fig tree is Israel. Let's take a look at two passages that make this clear for us. We find one in Hosea. I found Israel like grapes in the wilderness. I saw your fathers as the first fruits on the fig tree. Now, the disciples knew who he was talking about. They knew the Old Testament. They knew he was talking about Israel. Joel 1.12, the vine is dried up. The fig tree is withered. Look at the picture there of that dead fig tree. That was Israel for a couple thousand years. Dead as a doornail. Gone. Dispersed among the nations. Back in Luke 21, you don't have to turn there, but Luke 21, 24, remember Jesus said this, and they will fall by the edge of the sword. That took place in A.D. 70. And they will be led away into captivity into all nations. Guess which nation killed them by the edge of the sword, and drove them out, the Roman Empire. A.D. 70, Rome had had enough of Israel's trying to uprise. And Rome said, once and for all, Israel just dispersed among the nations. Israel, uh, the Jewish people, they headed north to Russia. They headed west. They headed east. They headed south. But Rome said, get out, all of you. No more nation. Now, Israel had actually inhabited the land for Almost the entire time, nonstop, even a remnant was there. Well, not almost, definitely. All the way had inhabited the land uh, all the way through the prior history from the time of Abraham all the way, except for the uh, 400-year slavery in Egypt. But once they came into the promised land, uh, once they came into the promised land after Moses leads them out, they were there until Rome said, disperse. And they weren't, and even when they were carried off into captivity, they were only carried off to a couple of places. This dispersion went everywhere. This is why you find Jewish people in Brazil, in Argentina, in Korea, right? In Japan, all over the world. But Jesus said, Watch the fig tree. This dead place will come back alive. This nation that was not will come back. This dead tree will become a live tree. That doesn't happen too often, doesn't it? If I told you, hey, come at my house, what, I've got this dead tree, you'll know that things are going to happen when this dead tree starts to bloom. That would get your attention, wouldn't it? It's like a bush burning, but not burning, right? It's like the scriptures say that Abraham was as good as dead, but what happened when he was 100 years of age? He had a son. See, the history of Israel is God taking something dead and blooming it. Dead and blooming it. Dead in Egypt for 400 years, blooming it. And now it's happening in our lifetime. Since 1948, the fig tree has been blooming. Let's take a look at a couple of other things here. Israel, here's Israel compared to the size of the state of Florida. See how small it is? That's the state of Florida. I lived in South Florida. We, I, me and my wife went to college in Miami, so from about the Miami line all the way up to maybe Cocoa Beach, but only the center part of the state there, Israel's roughly the size of New Jersey in, in land mass. Small area. But even in ancient times, in the 1500s, this was done in the 1500s, Jerusalem was considered the center of the world. Africa, Europe, and Asia all meet at Jerusalem. The world has fought over Jerusalem for centuries. And they don't know why. Because it's demonic behind the fighting over Jerusalem. They don't even know why they fight over Jerusalem. This arid piece of land that's not all that... You know, there, there's more beautiful places on planet Earth. Right? But they don't fight over that. They fight over that land. Right there. That's it. Can you see the red? That little tiny Israel. Do you know what the green is? That's today's Muslim world. Israel is surrounded on every side by today's Muslim world. It baffles the mind why they haven't just been run over. Because everyone around says they were, want to do it and will do it, but can't do it. Not since they got put back in the land in 1948. Take a look at one other picture here. Prophetic foreshadowing. There's this little guy named David, this massive giant. Israel's always the little David. Around them is always the big giants. But behind the little David, 
is God actually directs the course of the stone. Right? Let's go on. This is Israel today. Flourishing like you would not believe. Uh, it, it really is amazing. I'll read you a couple things, and this is the last things we'll talk about this morning. We, uh, agriculture in Israel is a highly developed industry. Israel is a major exporter of fresh fruit and a world leader in agriculture technology, despite the fact that the geography of Israel is not conducive to agriculture. More than half of the land, of, more than half of the land area is desert. The climate has a lack of water resources that do not favor farming. Only 20% of the land is naturally arable. America, we do much, we have way better weather patterns for this than they do, and better soil and everything else. Today, agriculture is only 2.5% of their gross domestic product, yet Israel produces 95% of its own food. Shocking, isn't it? For those of you who love coffee, they do have to import coffee as of now. But give them time, they'll have coffee too. Israel is home to two unique types of agriculture communities, kibbutz and moshav, uh, which were both developed by Jewish immigrants. And those two groups, the kibbutz basically is a communal farming, and the moshav is individual farms that collectively uh, do purchasing together, but they run their farms separately, whereas the other one are communal farms. It takes great harmony and unity to do either of these, by the way. God is sowing the harmony even before they have come to have the scales fully lifted off the eyes. They're walking in a type and a foreshadow of unity that will really be fully explained in Christ. I go on. Modern agriculture developed in the late 19th century when Jewish settlers began settling the land. They purchased land which was mostly semi-arid, although it had been rendered unusable. For for generations of deforestation, soil erosion, neglect, but they set about, they cleared the rocks, they built terraces, they drained swamp land, they reforested, they contracted soil erosion, and they washed away salty lands. Since independence in 1948, the total number of cultivated areas has increased from 408,000 acres to 1,070,000 acres. The Number of farm, farm and agriculture communities have incru- uh, increased from 400 to 725, and agricultural production has expanded 16 times population growth, all since 1948. Water shortage is a major problem. Rain falls between September and uh, April with uneven distribution, 28 inches in the north, less than 2 inches in the south. But annual renewal sources are about 5.6 billion cubic feet, 75% for agriculture. What Israel does, they take fresh water and they use a uh, highly complex uh, form of canals and pumping stations to actually distribute the water evenly across the country and the farms. I go on. Just interesting to you guys? Crops. Due to the diversity of the land and the climate across Israel, Israel is amazingly able to grow a wide range of crops for such a small area. Field crops include wheat, sorghum, and corn. Fruit and vegetables include the following. Citrus of all kinds. Avocado, kiwis, guavas, mangoes uh, in the Mediterranean coastal plain. Tomatoes, cucumbers, peppers, and zucchinis are grown throughout the country. Melons are grown in the winter months. Subtropical areas in the country uh, produce bananas and dates, while the northern areas produce apples, pears, and cherries. Furthermore, grape vineyards are found across the country as the wine industry has now become a world player. I'm not done. <laughs> what about cotton? You've heard of Egyptian cotton? Cotton, the crop is now grown on 28,570 hectare acres of land, all of which is drip irrigated. 5.5 tons of raw cotton is produced for the Akala crop, while the Pima crop produces 5 tons per hectare acre, which are among the highest yields in the world per acre. Local cows, this is a, I love this one. Local cows produce the highest amount of milk per animal in the world, with an average of 10,208 kilograms, 10,000 liters of milk per cow in 2000, um, with an average, I'm sorry, I don't know, per cow. Yeah, it is per animal with an average of uh, 10,000 liters of dairy from 2009. According to data published in 2011 by the Israeli Bureau of Statistics, this outperforms cows everywhere else in the world, including the U.S., Japan, Europe, and Australia. A total of 1,304 million liters of milk was produced by Israeli cows in 2010. All of Israel's milk, all of it, all of it 
originates from Israeli dairy farms, with most of it considering of the largely Israeli Holstein, a high-yielding, disease-resistant breed of cow. Unbelievable. This is a rocky country. Their cows, God said it would be a land of what? Milk and honey. Honey's, too, honey's there too. Israel is one of the world's leading uh, producers of fresh citrus products and exports, including oranges, grapefruit, tangerines. More than 40 types of fruits are grown in Israel. Uh, I go on. What about flowers? Well, if you have bees, you have flowers. And you have flowers, you have bees. Hence, you get Israeli honey. Israel produces vast quantities of flowers. Flower exports now exceed $50 million, in addition to the flowers favored in the West, such as lilies, roses, tulips. Israel exports desert varieties, has now become a major player in the global floral industry, especially as a supplier to traditional European flowers in the winter months. Folks, this place is blooming in our lifetime. This was dead as a doornail. This place didn't exist. All the green around them hate this place, and they can't seem to grow anything. Right? They fight with each other, they kill each other, they war with each other, they won't grow, and God loves them too. Let me be clear. This has been done that people, God would say, look, 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 look. Read my word. Everything I've said is true. I said when I put them there, they will not be removed. And the trampling of the Gentiles stopped in 1967, although you could make the argument that it's not done until the Temple Mount is fully relieved, although Israel actually has full control of the Temple Mount, they just cede control of it to the people that run still the Dome of the Rock, right? The Muslims that run Dome of the Rock. But Jesus said, when the trampling of the Gentiles is filled up. So last, um, that's uh, Israel and agriculture. What about Israel and business? Let's take a look at the last one here. Israel and business. How are they doing there? Second to last one, actually. Israel and business. Just as, uh, just as amazing what's taking place. The economy of Israel is technologically advanced. One of the most techn- uh, technologically advanced market economy includes rapidly growing high-tech and service sectors. Uh, Israel um, is considered a world leader in software and telecommunications, semiconductors. The high concentration of high-tech uh, has given Israel the nickname Silicon Wadi, which is considered the second most important IT or high-tech area after Northern California, Silicon Valley. The country is the destination of many U.S. companies now. Berkshire Hathaway made its first investment there. Uh, Many other companies, Intel, Microsoft, have have put their R&D or major R&D section there. When I worked for Microsoft, uh, our major advances around Xbox, our major advances around high-tech security, uh, uh, encryption, were all done by our Israeli R&D. Amazing stuff. Uh, I saw it firsthand myself. Uh, After independence, Israel faced a deep economic crisis, as well as having to recover from the devastating effects of the 1948 Arab-Israeli War. It also had to absorb hundreds of thousands of Jewish refugees. But they came out of all that, and today they have a textile industry that grows. They are a major supplier to people like Marks & Spence, The Gap, Walmart, Sears, Ralph Lauren, Donna Karen. Calvin Klein, they go on. Uh, Two developments have transformed Israel's economy. One big one uh, is the influx of Jewish immigration, particularly from the former Soviet Union, which has brought over a million citizens to Israel. They were highly educated, and they now consist of 16% of the population. Jeremiah says that a lot of the immigration would come down from the north, which we talked about already uh, in a previous. And then uh, another couple of things that I think are amazing um, Israel, from a science perspective, uh, has actually published worldwide, as far as scientific pub- publication, 10 times higher than its percentage of the world's population. Tel Aviv was named by Newsweek as one of the 10 most technologically influential, influential cities in the world. Uh, Israel now has uncovered, and this really bothers their neighbors that hate them. Israel, was, for a long time, didn't have a lot of natural resources. Not true anymore. Israel has uncovered one of the largest natural gas reserves in the world, Leviathan, and this happened just a couple of years ago. Israel soon, now remember they do 95% of their own food. 
They soon will not need anyone's help on natural resources. Their natural gas reserves are so large, they're valued at $130 billion. They now believe that there's oil under there, too. When Israel has oil, and Israel has natural gas, they have their own fresh water supply, desalination plants, they they mastered and pioneered solar power. Folks, God is blessing this little tiny spot, isn't he? I could go on and on. Uh, They were named the most, this is an amazing thing, Israel was named the world's most resilient economy in the face of crisis. They have low unemployment. I could go on and on, but I have to stop. I actually did have one last slide, and this is the other blessing. Take a look at this last slide, and we'll, we'll go ahead and come to a close. But it's not just the land. It's not just the economy. It's not just the incredible blessing on the people. In the face of fear, I mean, there's a, it's a fearful place to be, and yet things spring up. It's not all that. The world has benefited. Since 1948, many people have come to Christ, and there's this weird connection to Israel being back in the land. The Jesus movement that Chuck Smith uh, otherwise... Uh, started in 1967, the same year that Jerusalem was recaptured in the Six-Day War. Jerusalem became fully under control. The old city as well as the new part all became control of Israel, and there was an explosion. Calvary Chapel was born during that time, by the way, which I am a benefactor of, and so are you. But not just that. More Muslims have come to Christ since 1980 than the previous thousand years over half of all Jews that have come to faith in Jesus Christ have done so since 1948. This goes all the way back to the work of the Apostle Paul. Folks, we are living in a time where the fig tree is blossoming, but it's not full yet. Many of their eyes are still blinded. We'll look at this where Paul talks about it in Romans 9, 10, and 11. Some of the mystery is not fully understood. But what is understood is that God is saying, if you cannot look at Israel and you can't see the prophecies being fulfilled, then you don't want to see it. Amen? Let's close in prayer.